And I'm Erica. And we've been wading through a series uh, in uh, largely centered in the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians so far, looking at spiritual gifts, um, trying to borrow some wisdom from the uh, scriptures about what, what these gifts might mean, what they might look like in our lives. And um, uh, we're, we're going to gather around the table proverbially again uh, today to look at different spiritual gifts today. Where, where's our conversation taking us today, Erica? So we're continuing in the first Corinthians 12 passage where it lists uh, a bunch of spiritual gifts and we are now on prophecy and discernment of spirits. Um, These are two gifts that a lot of people um, feel have gone by the wayside. Um, And a lot of people misunderstand, I think, because a lot of us, when we think, especially of prophecy, we think of predicting the future. Uh Um, And that's not typically how this gift is used. It's more... um, it's it's a message given by the Holy Spirit for the building up and encouragement and consolation of others. Um, so like like all the spiritual gifts, it's meant to build up the church. So it's not necessarily predicting, oh, this is going to happen in the future. Right. Um, but it's a word to help encourage people. And discernment of spirits is kind of what it sounds like. It's discerning the motivation behind things. Um, so whether, you know, somebody has a good motivation or a bad motivation about why they have said or done something. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's just kind of a, a real brief introduction into these two gifts. I wonder if we could jump on to that, that way you introduce prophecy, because I think that's such an important place to, to start the conversation, because just like you say, um, a lot of folks, church folks or non-religious folks at all, when they hear the word prophet, their go-to picture is like a Nostradamus figure who mm-hmm. like goes into a trance and possibly has a crystal ball and starts, you know, making vague pronouncements that could mean almost anything but are about distant future events. And that later on, someone comes along and goes, see, they were predicting the death of Henry VIII or see, they were predicting the way the 1974 election was going to be like, no, that more often prophets are people who speak forth God's word for this time and for this situation. Um, And that's, that was true of the biblical prophets like uh, Isaiah and Jeremiah Mm -hmm. as well. And again, sometimes we forget that because I I think, I think honestly, in a lot of Christian practice, we have this way of um, putting the prophets in a corner of your only job is to say things that predict Jesus. And we forget that the prophets first and foremost, spoke a word to the communities they lived in. And sometimes that word was, okay, God's not done with us yet. There's going to come this future promise. And their Christians go, oh, that's where we get to Jesus. But Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea, all of them, they had things to say to their time and their place. And that prophets are just as much about foretelling what's the message for their time and place as they are about foretelling, if, if not more so about their present moment. And even those places where we can see predictions and prophecies that now looking back, we're like, oh, that's about Jesus. You know, like you said, Steve, it was also for that particular moment as well. Right. And that I think that's really helpful too. that. That makes us better Bible readers of the Hebrew prophets as well, so that we don't say, ah, let's skip through most of Jeremiah because most of it doesn't apply to Jesus. Um 
and and sometimes we also play the game of these words meant nothing to for hundreds of years until Jesus came along, and then all of a sudden people knew what they meant. No, the the words that the prophets spoke to their time meant something for them, and then uh, it is it, it's been the practice of the Christian community to look back sometimes and go, oh my goodness, the thing that the prophet was pointing forward toward in, includes Jesus, but it also meant something for what God was doing in in that original moment in that time. That's that's helpful. And that means, too, when we're looking at what the gift of being a prophet in this day and age might mean, might have a lot less to do with predicting how things will be in 100 years uh, and more about what's God saying for this moment here and now. Mm -hmm. And I think the dangerous thing about how we tend to view prophecy is like how we view the book of revelation. Yeah. Right. Like we view the book of revel, like modern society tends to see it as this book of prophecy, that this is what exactly how the world is, how the end times are going to be. And you see that, especially with like the left behind series by Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins, um, where it's like quite literally they're taking this book and, quite literally saying this is exactly how it's going to be. There's going to be these seven monsters. There's going to be this happens and then this happens and this happens Um, without taking into consideration of like a lot of those analogies and symbolisms can be placed into like the first and second century, what was actually happening then, you know, that it's, we've lost that thread of how to read prophecy which then confuses us on how we actually treat prophecy today um, and how we treat prophets today. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes a prophet speaking to their time might might make reference to future events, not for the sense of don't pay attention to this until this future event happens, but more like if you continue on this bad path you're on, here will be the consequences. That's not good. I want you to avoid this bad thing let's do let's change course and and do something different right um so you know like like we've talked at a number of points uh in our in various series about like jonah the the prophet like whose message is entirely one-sidedly bad things are coming um and the people use that message and they go oh my goodness let's change our ways and god relents and doesn't do the terrible thing that jonah announced that doesn't mean he was a false prophet because the thing he said was going to happen didn't happen it was because he was announcing here are the consequences if you continue on this bad path i'm telling you there will be bad things that happen um the same way that like i guess you know if if i warn my kids and i say if you continue slapping your brother with that you know um teddy bear i will take that teddy bear away i hope that they will take that as a warning not as a prediction now if they continue on that path whatever they've been slapping each other around with is going to be taken away um and there may be other consequences as well, but it, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not a prediction so much as it's a, it's a warning in the present change your course of action. And it's, I find it interesting. You mentioned Jonah and how the people of Nineveh listened to his warning and changed their ways. Yep. And yet the people of Israel often did not listen to their prophets, did not change their ways. And so then what the prophets warned about did become basically a prediction because yeah. it did come true i'm thinking of jeremiah yeah yeah, yeah. you know and and the the exile and everything that he predicted well that happened because they hadn't listened to him and the prophets that came before him um you know so it's 
it's interesting who ends up listening to prophecy when we look in scripture right um, that it's not typically god's people who should be the ones that know better and jesus you know runs with that whole notion often in in his teachings in the, mm-hmm. in the gospels you'll often find jesus saying things like you'll know the real prophets because they're the ones that nobody wants to listen to and ignore and often you run them out of town or kill them and the false prophets are the ones who say things that everybody wants to hear and only say things that pat us on the back um and only tell us keep doing those things that you want to do um and and that again makes it look like that uh that that prophets messages uh look sometimes like they're not coming true when we actually listen and change our actions or that they are most they, they most look like they're predicting the future when people don't listen to them and the things that they warn happen actually come mm-hmm. to happen um i wonder if that helps open the door then as we think about what it means to be um prophetic um that's one of those words that um again that the one danger is in completely irrelevant to what's going on in life. It's only you know, random predictions about the future. Um, but to be prophetic then, I think in the, in the biblical sense really has a uh, uh, paying attention to the world around you and asking what is God calling us to do or how to respond. And that, that means sometimes upsetting folks who like the way things are um, and being able to speak up and say, Hey, this isn't right. This, this isn't just, yeah. this isn't, you know, in, in character with God. And that's often what gets prophetic voices in trouble. That, that's why we keep wanting to saw them in half or throw them into wells or, you know, uh, whatever else terrible things happen to the biblical prophets. Um, and that, that makes me think that um, there's something of the gift of prophecy that, goes hand in hand with being willing to be a holy troublemaker. Absolutely. I, I, yeah. That's there. Uh, Cause I was just thinking that, you know, prophets, they make us uncomfortable yeah. because mm-hmm. they're disrupting our lives. Right. Like um, uh, I would say a modern day prophet who isn't necessarily a religious prophet, but a prophet in our world would be Greta Thunberg who is a, you know, environmentalist activist and, you know, that, that prophetic voice of pointing us towards how we are ruining our planet, how we are, you know, not reigning in pollution, how, you know, we could do better. We should do better. We have to do better often means, especially for us living in, um, you know, America, it's going to make us uncomfortable, right? Because it it affect like if we were actually being really serious about climate change and what we could do to try to slow it down, uh, it's going to mean changing a lot of our habits. It's going to change our shopping habits. It's going to change um, how we treat consumables. um, And that's going to be uncomfortable. But that's what prophets do is they make it make you have to become uncomfortable to have the change happen. And that that reminds me, too, of how both the biblical prophets and figures like Greta Thunberg um, or, for that matter, leaders like Dr. King, and the civil rights movement in the 1960s, um, took actions that they understood by themselves couldn't fix things, but were meant to be symbolic acts to to get attention. So like um, when they organized the Montgomery bus boycott, I think there was an awareness that a handful of people not taking the bus might have a financial impact, but by itself that wasn't going to change things, but it could draw enough 
uh, attention that people could say, oh my goodness, this is an unjust situation. We need to, you know, that would call for wider action and change. And when Greta Thunberg famously had her strike from school and wouldn't go to school on certain days as a way of like, you know, pr- protesting uh, environmental conditions, she knew that it wasn't like her, her staying home from school wasn't going to um, decrease the amount of pollution in the world by itself, but was meant to be the kind of act that called attention enough that, that um, helped to, to raise awareness. Sometimes that's what prophets do is they do symbolic acts, sort of like, you know, um, uh, isn't Ezekiel goes around wearing a yoke around his neck for all those years. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, my goodness, poor Hosea has to name his kids such depressing names, like not loved and not my people. Um, and uh, uh, Jeremiah, I mean, they, they all have stories about interesting acts of things that they did that were, they, they realized were not magical, but were meant to call attention to be sort of like living, walking parables. And I think the idea of prophets making us uncomfortable can also help us as a warning when somebody claims to be a prophet and claims to predict the future or whatever, or even try to say something and we get all excited. We're like, yeah, yeah, let's get, but you know, uh, maybe, maybe there'd be dragons. Right. 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 And, and this reminds me of that old line. It's, it's, it's such an old cliche saw, but it's, it's a cliche for a reason that the, the role of prophets and to some degree preachers is to um, afflict the comfortable and to comfort the afflicted. And that both are true. So there are times where the biblical prophet's job was to speak comfort, but it wasn't the people who were already comfortable. It was to say for folks who've been stepped on, God has not forgotten you. There is, there is new hope. There's new beginning. There's new possibility, but an awful lot of what they have to say um, is is to shake people out of their complacency, and if you're comfortable and complacent, you don't like that. You're going to react against. I don't want. I don't want to listen to somebody who tells me things I don't want to hear. So yeah, that's it's a it's a good note, Erica. I think that when we hear voices that only reinforce what we already think, that may be a warning sign. Wait, maybe I need to be listening to other voices. Surely I don't have all the answers. I need to be listening to other voices mm-hmm. who can hold me accountable or call me out on stuff. So, so could I ask then, making a little bit of shift from the the Hebrew scriptures and ancient ancient Israel to what what that might look like in the Christian community or in our day in in twenty first century American life? Um, what might it look like to have or to practice? Uh, the gift of prophecy in in our context when we're not talking about the shadow of Babylon or golden calves, but what might it mean in in our day? I think it's going back to what we've already said about, you know, preaching, especially preaching as being prophetic is comforting the afflicted and afflicting the comforted. Um, it's, It's very much that pointing out the things that are already happening in the world and how we as a community respond to it Mm -hmm. right like it's and I think that there is a part of me that thinks that 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 style of preaching that that is prophetic is a type of preaching Mm -hmm. like it's um 
not to say that every single sermon a preacher gives is going to be prophetic. And there's going to be some preachers that are going to shy away from that type of preaching, um, maybe because of their context, maybe because of their community. Um, you know, because I know for sure that I've had colleagues who have left churches because they tended towards those that type of sermon of, you know, saying, hey, we as a community need to do better and here's how we can do it. And then that became so uncomfortable for the congregation that they drove that pastor out. Um, so again, like that's not always going to be heard well because it's uncomfortable. Um, but I think it's definitely a style of preaching that is mm -hmm. prophetic. Yeah. And, and that says to me, I guess that um, it requires a community of listeners who are willing to be challenged for this to work well. I mean, that, that, that I, I, I want to be wary of saying the hallmark of a good prophet is if nobody likes you and you always get run out of town because there are sometimes good reasons to get run out of town. Um, but um, there are communities, there are congregations, and this is the kind of thing that a congregation or a group of, of a Christian community can work on and get better at is being able to be challenged and provoked and to sort of push back that there's going to be and, and like when 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 you think about the the classic um uh you know, black church tradition of sort of the call and response between preacher and the congregation like you can tell when there's sort of a response back um and you'll hear you know people you know shouting amen back in ways that to be very honest a lot of lutherans i know are not comfortable talking back in a sermon <laughs> Um, and there are times when the congregation will want more. They, they can sort of like sense, okay, preacher, you're head down this direction. Keep going, keep going, you know, uh, you know hold us accountable um, or, you know, say more. Um, and that it, it requires a, a, a listening community that is willing to let a preacher um, hold things up to the light and say, here's where we need to do better without getting defensive or upset. And that that's, that that's in some ways the goal, not, not that I'll know I'm a prophetic preacher when everybody hates me, but that if you're bringing the word you're convinced God has called you to bring, not to be upset when people actually listen, um, but to say, good, that's a good step, but also not to just say my goal is to keep my head down and never to make any waves. I wonder then, th this makes me um, think of a conversation uh, I, I was having not long ago with someone who talked about the temptation for preachers always and only to say things that are feel good um, and that sort of like vague, hazy, kind of inspirationally kind of a thing. And that sometimes congregations kind of use that kind of language of, well, all we want is someone who will make us feel good. And there are lots of uh, well-paid, best-selling author preachers out there who's like that's their niche is I will only say things that make people feel good and that I think sometimes folks think that's that's what it means to do that comforting the afflicted is just sort of vague generalities that are only um that have no substance to them it, it, it makes me think about like what's the difference between when my my kid wants to play doctor with their dolls and what an actual doctor does to make you feel better like at, at this point my eight-year-old daughter's picture of the world is doctor waves a stethoscope of you and, and checks your blood pressure and you feel better because those are the, those are the rhythms and routines that she's seen but a real doctor knows that that's not actually what makes you feel better medicine or you know this procedure or something like that is actually what what might heal you 
And that sometimes I think we fall for that kind of, you want someone who looks vaguely religious, but doesn't actually diagnose the problem. And that the comfort that the prophets brought when they brought comfort was because like a good surgeon, they could rightly diagnose, here's what's wrong. Here's what will make things right again. And that's more than just waving a stethoscope. And I think sometimes there's a temptation for I'll be honest, at least me as a preacher, maybe all of us as preachers, to slide into that kind of, I'm just a play doctor. I wave a stethoscope around and we all say we feel better rather than to actually diagnose and to actually say, here's what it's going to take for there to be healing. And sometimes it takes pain to get that healing. Mm -hmm. Um, I just took my four-year-old for his four-year-old wellness check like last week. And part of that is getting the polio vaccine. Yeah. And, you know, so my four-year-old had to roll up his sleeve. He got his arm like cleaned and he's four. So he has absolutely no idea that this means he's going to get a shot. And he watched as the, the nurse jabbed him in the arm and shot him full of this liquid stuff. And he just kind of went, that wasn't very nice. <laughs> and it goes, yeah. And, and, you know, it's like, yeah, that wasn't very nice. That did kind of pinch, didn't it? But rather have that pinch that hurts right this moment than you having polio yeah Mm -hmm. i i think that's such a great image i love the way you talked about that and particularly focusing in on the way uh a treatment that is meant to do clear and demonstrable good not having polio and not having a society that's plagued by polio comes by means of something that yes has a pinch and and hurts and yet when you step back, you can go, this was a necessary pinch because we needed that in order for both you as a child and collectively all of us as a society not to have hospital wards full of iron lungs anymore. Um, and to see the, the, the gift and the role of being a prophet is something like that. Um, and that what that pinch means in practical terms then is that sometimes it's a prophet's role to call out parts or practices or habits in all of our lives that we are entangled in that are rotten, that are, that are against the ways of God, not in order to zap us and say, you're not good enough for God's love, but to say, no, God's, God's intention is for us to turn from that and to find new ways of living together. I guess I think that's, that's an important piece about how the ancient prophets often saw themselves that if, if you were getting a warning from a prophet, it was honestly good news because it means you hadn't come to the end of the relationship with God. That when things were at their worst, it was when God said, fine, have it your own way. I'm bailing out, um, you know, in exile or, you know, fine, uh, you, you know, you're going to worship your golden calf, see how that goes for you. But when the prophets are saying God's still speaking, it, it assumes that there's the possibility of change, of turning around and of the relationship with God and with neighbor continuing. Um, when I was a, when I was a kid, my mother used to say that um, the the worst possible thing she could imagine saying to her children was, "Go ahead, do whatever you want. I don't care." I knew I'd really, really, really gotten her mad if she threw up her hands and was like, "Do whatever you want. I don't care." Um, that we were now beyond helpful correction, but I had really, really, really messed up. Um, and I guess I kind of think if that's if that's anywhere close to how our relation with God is, then when prophets call us out and say, hey, this thing that we're doing, this isn't good, that's not, it's it's not um, to say this is the end of the relationship. It's, no, I'm telling you so we can change and we can start over. There's hope in that, that there's something good in that. I even think that this is a problem all the way down to our interpersonal relationships. I, I, I know when I work with couples before they get married, one of the hardest things that often couples work on is that 
the the active listening of when someone has something to tell me that they're not going to like saying and I'm not going to like hearing because there's so much in our culture that's if it's something I'm not going to like it's it, it's it's bad and I w- we want to avoid that rather than how do we practice saying things that are difficult that need to be said you know so here's a problem I'm telling you not because I hate you but I'm telling you so that we can make things right that you know I so I need to own my errors or I need to tell you this that you're doing is upsetting me not because I hate you and we're done I'm telling you so that there can be correction so that we can change and find new ways of living together that's a really important but it feels to me like often missing skill in the the world in which we live now should we at least spend a moment thinking about what that discernment of spirits piece is yes please because i have no (laughs) idea what this means so these two and this is the genius of paul and in the wisdom of the holy spirit and inspiring paul go together really really well way to go holy spirit (laughs) Um, because the sermon of the spirits again, you know, it's, it's that motivation behind something, figuring out, you know, is, is the motivation good or bad behind something? And so when you pair it with prophecy, then you could, you know, if you have somebody who has the sermon of spirits and somebody with the gift of prophecy, they can tell, okay, is this true prophecy or is this like somebody just saying something because they want, you know, people to hear what they think. Uh, or they want people to like them or whatever um but it's not a devil made me do it kind of you know thing it it helps to discern out you know where where i'm coming from versus where god's coming from and, and how how i listen to those two voices I wonder if this is actually the corrective we needed earlier on when we talked about the dangers of, say, the um, the celebrity televangelist preacher who makes a career out of doing uh, healings or things like that. And we said, you know what, there's there may be real people who have the the earnest ability to heal or things like that. But but be wary, there may be dragons out there. There mm-hmm. may be you know, snake oil salesman. You need to have wisdom. And we said that um, maybe one way of knowing the genuine article from. Uh, huckster is are you trying to get attention and glory for yourself or is this i'm here because i love my neighbor and to god be the glory that there's discerning of like what what's what's the genuine what's the real mccoy and what's um snake oil that that maybe this is the the necessary counterbalance we were aching for earlier on when 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 at least Mm -hmm. some of us had that like honest skeptic of like man i've been burned so many times by people who said that they had this power you know misused it or uh took advantage of people whatever um, how do you know what's real and what's fake is, is here, Paul said, God, don't worry. God also raises up people who have that ability to discern what's, what passes the smell test, so to speak. And I could see where this would be especially helpful in the first century. Cause, um, you know, back then there wasn't, um, like social media, there wasn't like super duper quick ways to get news back and forth. And um, my understanding was that in the first century, there were a lot of healers walking around, you know, Palestine, um, healing and preaching and teaching and basically doing what Jesus was doing. Um, And I can imagine that if you ran out your time in a certain city or a town, you know, running your scam, if it was a scam, no big deal. You just moved on to the next town and they probably had no idea who you were and Mm -hmm. you could continue running your scam, you know, or, you know, if you were like 
Steve said, the real McCoy, you know, you kind of needed people in your community that was able to suss out people's intentions and whether or not God was working through them or if they were just trying to make a quick buck. Yeah. Um, I, I, I was thinking as you were sharing that, Sarah, of um, the, the, the curiosity and frustration I had um, a while back, a couple of years ago, when um, in our household, the grownups in our household were watching the TV show Game of Thrones. Um, and without uh, unpacking all the mythology of that, the, the, the thing about the world of that series, and the, I'm sure the books even more so, was that you have this fantasy realm where there's all sorts of different religions and different gods. And on the TV show, at least, there was no answer about who is the who are the true gods and who are the false gods. You ended up with, uh, you know priests in one religion would have actual supernatural powers over here. And then you'd, oh, okay, those are the real gods. And then over there, you'd have other people had supernatural powers. And I, I kept wondering, well, when's the show going to answer? What's the truth? Who, who has the right religion? The, the old gods or the new gods or the red god? Like, w- what's the answer? And the show never answered it because the show is not meant to do that. Um, that wasn't the question we were all supposed to be asking. <laughs> yeah, I, I, well, yeah, Church Nerd was asking which are the right gods. <laughs> um, but... Um, as, as I as I came to the end of that series, I sort of felt like um, there is something fascinating as entertainment watching something like that with no answers given. But I've also find myself thinking, man, I'm glad that um, I'm, I, I guess it, it's it's distraction when you're watching it. But to live in the world and feel like, well, how do I decide what's real and what's substantive and what's fake and what's empty and shallow? That's harder. And if I, you have no clue and you have a bunch of contenders all vying for um you know listen to my voice listen to my voice listen to my voice man is it hard to to suss out what's what's real and what's authentic it 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 felt to me a little bit like the the chaos that is social media and all the competing fact claims you know and it seems like it ramps up at different times that we get more and more disinformation at certain times but man when like you're bombarded with people all making competing claims like, well, all of these things that people are sharing and liking can't all be true. And I'm grateful for people whose job is to fact check and like, that turns out this isn't true. Or it turns out this is slightly, you know, that's misrepresenting this claim or something like that, that in a way, the discernment of spirits is sort of like um, God's fact check on us. And it's sort of like in a world full of lots of competing claims, we need people whose voices are, I'm here to help suss out or to help help us critically think basically what, what's, what, what fits with the character of God and what, what's, what uh, looks like Jesus and what ain't Jesus. So this was fact checking before fact checking was cool. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And necessary maybe, maybe that's the, the the way to frame this is that you need and in this again go it speaks to why why it's so good that, that these two gifts are, are both part of the list and go side by side you need people who are who are willing and able to speak uncomfortable truths from time to time as prophets but you also need people who can listen critically you need a good listening community who can say yeah you're right we we didn't want to hear it but we needed this and yeah that's that's an important but difficult truth and that's that's the the real deal that is from god and you need other voices uh who can who can say no that sorry that one that's not true that doesn't that doesn't look like jesus well a lot of people a lot of times people will say well that will make me do it (laughs) right 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 no you chose to do that that was your own you know human wisdom or whatever working there and so like um in a book that i I read 
to help me prepare on my sermon series on these last year, uh, it talked about the three main types of spirits, you know, the Holy Spirit, the human spirit, and the demonic spirit. And so this gift kind of helps you discern between those three because, you know, we as people, we like to, when we make mistakes, we like to blame others. Um, and oftentimes we blame the devil when sometimes it's just our own stupidity. <laughs> and I think the, the, the converse is true sometimes too, that sometimes we have a way of taking the things that we want to be true and baptizing them mm-hmm. with Jesus and endorse this. And it, honestly, I think that's maybe a, a special place where this gift of discernment of spirits is really needed in our day. Cause not everything that, um, stamps a cross logo on it is of the character of Jesus. Um, and man, how easy it is for, um, Jesus to sort of get co-opted and to just become a mascot for somebody else's agenda. Um, I, I recently read um, Kristen Dumez's, Dumez's book, uh, Jesus and John Wayne, which is sort of a tracing of American religious history in the last 75 years. Um, and one of the things I found really um, haunting, <laughs> I guess, um, but also like enlightening was like how over time you end up with um, a, a, a sort of like a, a set of, political values that when we say, okay, and Jesus endorses all of this. And at some point when people stop asking, wait a second, is Jesus really endorsing more nuclear war? Or is Jesus really endorsing that we can have a preemptive invasion of another country? That doesn't quite sound like Jesus. Um, mm-hmm. That um, how over and over and over again, we we have to, to keep ourselves honest. Who will be the voices who help us say, wait a second, this doesn't sound like Jesus. Um, and that, that, uh, that's a, a recurring need in any time, in any place, in any culture, you need voices who can say this, this, that, that, that doesn't sound true. That, that, that doesn't ring true. And other voices who can speak up the difficult truths who, who want, once we've discerned that, who can say, wait a second, folks, the emperor is wearing no clothes. And maybe that's it to borrow that, that old fable that like, the community of Jesus needs both people who have eyes open enough to see the unpleasant truth that that emperor is wearing no clothes. He marches on by. And also you need people with the, the prophetic courage to say the, the truth that they've seen that, that nope, he is naked and that he ain't wearing clothes that that's not. A, and then to say it out loud, that the, that's maybe where these gifts really lie, not in going into a trance and predicting in 20 years, such and such will happen and the eagle will crush the serpent or like, Nope, it's just more like read the, read the world that you're living in. So friends, um, it looks like uh, we at least have, have uh, sketched out a rough sketch of what these gifts might look like. Um, the, the hard part now becomes living them. <laughs> um, but uh, at least we maybe begun to unpack a little bit about what does it look like to, to have or what, what might the need be for these. So uh, we're going to invite folks to join us again for conversation next time as we continue looking at spiritual gifts and what they mean for us. Thanks for listening here on Crazy Faith Talk. See y'all.